Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Skillpoint podcast, the podcast on a mission to level up the recruitment marketing industry. Um, I would just like to preface this episode with an apology for our mic quality. It has this kind of drop in, drop out, and it was on the podcast episode before. Um, we are working on the issue, and I believe we have now got it fixed. So I believe it may happen for the next episode. So apologies for that. But it is about what the guest is saying, and that is all fine. Um, in this episode, I am joined by the wonderful Claire Bush. Claire has over 20 years experience working in the talent recruitment and tech space and has a background in brand and demand generation. Claire has developed brands and market propositions, driven revenue and growth for global SaaS, talent tech businesses, recruitment agencies, job advertising and media organizations. So it's safe to say uh, she has had a storied career and a really cool background and she is now taking her wealth of knowledge as she embarks on a new adventure as a fractional CMO and consultant. So best of luck with that. Claire. Um, this was a really, really lovely episode and we dug into some really, really good um, nuggets of advice, tips, and value and we talked about the mindsets behind um, a successful recruitment marketer and what you need to do to get that seat on the table and we look at what a great um, marketing strategy looks like going into this turbulent market and the increasing role technology will play in improving um, your capabilities and we also have a really lovely conversation at the end from Claire um, as she shares her experiences being a woman in leadership and her advice for those looking to level themselves up in the industry. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And as always, if you enjoyed it, please don't forget to follow the podcast on whatever platform you're on. Uh, It really helps out massively. Thank you. Good afternoon, Claire. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Lovely to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you too. Thank you so much for coming on to the Skillpoint podcast. Um, I've been really excited about this uh, conversation we're going to have. I think there's some really good questions and um, I think we're going to have a good conversation. Um, So the first thing I'd really like to touch on is, um, and something that we just literally had a conversation on before I press record, um, permission marketing. I won't dive into it anymore. I'll let you take the reins and just let me know what's on your mind around this. Um, Well, it kind of, it's come about. I've just um, been working with the team over at Adway, um, social media recruitment uh, platform. And one thing that was really striking me in the whole world of recruitment marketing is that permission or privacy of data is is not actually high up on the agenda enough from, from my perspective. So, yeah, as we'll dive into the kind of career path that I've had, um, I just thought it was a really interesting topic. So I'm actually going to be presenting um, to um, Adway and and some of their clients um, next week. So, yeah, deep in the research of permission marketing, what it means, how the social channel engagement now needs to be leveled up. And also, what does it mean in terms of how you engage and at what point can you legitimately make content uh, contact and what kind of content as well. So yeah, lots of, of real nice insight and research coming to light in the next week or so. Hopefully I'll get that published as well. So um, yeah, it'll be for everybody to come see. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Perfect. Cool. So uh, interesting. I'll let you um, 
I'll let you dive into that in more detail on your call. Um, I'm sure you've got some really good nuggets um, in there. So I'll leave those for the plate for other people to go find. Um, another thing I want to talk to you about is the golden triangle. Um, really hit me nicely when uh, we discussed this in our sort of initial call. And yeah. um, again, again, I'll hand it over to you. Can you explain what this is and, you know, how it, it refers to recruitment marketing and recruitment agencies in general? Yeah, I mean, I suppose over the years, I've kind of, again, experienced this space for a long time now. But one of my sort of kind of lookouts, if you like, um, for any kind of job or any kind of career opportunity is the sort of triangle of, of needs that you need. So, you know, you want to make an impact. You want to learn something, but you also want to be rewarded for it. I think that's that's true of all of us in, in terms of the world of work. But what I wanted to do was kind of find that golden triangle in my day-to-day world, my job. And having been in marketing forever, I don't think I could ever not be a marketeer. Um, I think it's ingrained in my DNA. Um, and so marketing plus technology and people are my golden triangle for this world that I'm inhabiting right now. Um, and it kind of, it means that I'm always going to be working in the space that I love, doing the things that I like and I'm really passionate about, but using the most amazing tools and technology to kind of take us forward, to create that innovation, to keep moving in the right way. Um, and then the final piece of the triangle is the people. And in, in the people industry, if you like, in the talent world that we live in, if you can't keep people at the front of mind, then you shouldn't be here. Um, and a lot of my friends and colleagues along the way have always been so people orientated. And it just makes for a really brilliant industry to, to bounce around in. Yeah, fantastic. I love the um the analogy of that. And I think that really does hit home, I think. And especially people, some some people are getting worried about technology growth and some of the new AI tools coming out, but really you always got to bring it back down to the fundamentals, especially in this sector, is people are the core, the core part of it. Um, and if you can marry all those three together and just make technology at all, um, really push the marketing and find teams that encapsulate all of that, then yeah, fantastic. Yeah, great way. Yeah. Um so that leads me on to what do you think great marketing looks like going into the new year? Taking that golden triangle, taking technology, marketing, and everything you've learned. What are the what are the good companies doing good? Great. I suppose for me, there's a lot of there's a lot of great out there for sure, but it's about having that triangle in balance as well. So I think there's a lot of companies out there that will put product first and the technology or they will put their sales efforts and their kind of growth first and foremost in terms of the business strategy. Nothing wrong with that at all. But so long as you can kind of balance that up then with the service and the marketing function is massively evolving. I mean, I've been fortunate to be in the sector. I've been in marketing now for 20 plus years. In, in the talent space, working in recruitment technology and, and recruiting on talent space for employee brand and things like that, I'm seeing now a much more of a closeness between commercial marketing and talent brand and talent marketing, if you like, or recruitment marketing as we label it. And, and it's more than just talent attractions over here and commercial marketing and selling something is over there. They are actually existing in the same space. I'm a marketer that does 
both. Um, you know, I can kind of take a business to market, but I can also ensure that an employer brand campaign is activated. And so that kind of, I suppose, level thinking, that kind of view of the world with a different perspective is really now, I think, more essential than ever. Um, if I talk about the function of a marketing team, I think for me, it starts with the strategy. So that strategy piece, like I just said, it it kind of has to be multifaceted. It needs to be able to look at both the people and the business and to be able to take both forward at the same time. And when you've got that kind of level of commercial awareness, as well as the consideration and, and kind of internal team play, if you like, the people strategy piece, you actually have a much more holistic marketing strategy that gives you more bang for your buck. It, it ultimately sends everybody into your in your business into marketers for you. And so that whole kind of like problem that we used to have where, you know, you kind of do, we've just put a post out on social, can you like, love, share? Everybody naturally does anyway, because it's actually coming from them in the first place. And everybody's got everybody else's back. So you're amplifying the voice of your business, the brand of your business, you know, by the the thousands. And so that that's the starting point for me. That's the arc. The actual sort of middle of the sandwich, the the people in the team, the skills that you need in the team. I think we've moved through the last 10 years, certainly, I've seen the rise of every single part of marketing becoming an area of expertise and a specialist. And there are absolutely the most amazing specialists out there from a digital marketing perspective, PPC and SEO and all of the sort of fractional stuff, even down to events and experience. You can get some really brilliant, brilliant experts there. But I think for me, more so than anything else, now is the time for those that have got skills across the board. For that marketeer that is literally uh, all hands, someone who can, you know, kind of really understand how to fire up a campaign, how to curate content, how to turn that into sales messages, how to then kind of PR that a little bit over social. Um, someone who can go end to end from understanding the need to delivering that kind of result. They're the people that are going to need that. They're the people that businesses are really crying out for right now. Someone who can kind of come in and do a sort of all singing, all dancing kind of um, end-to-end campaign piece. And I think the final part of that function structure has to be with the leader or a number of leaders who are able to kind of almost collaborate, but have that seat at the strategic table. You know, we talk about C-suite all the time. Fantastic CMOs out there, amazing growth marketeers who have got a plug into the the ultimate business strategy and the aim, the goals, and the ambition. But it's that translation and how you then dovetail that back into strategies over multiple different disciplines and and to really kind of enable those tactics to land and deliver and move you forward. So if you've got a leader that can literally be 30,000 foot up in the air. And also in the weeds, you know, kind of writing copy or just having that thought leadership kind of content, then you're going to win. That's, for me, the sort of DNA of today's marketing function. Fantastic. And I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, The market has definitely changed. And I love the idea that 
And you'll find a lot of the marketers, um, especially the ones that we deal with in recruitment agencies, are are the uh, the full department, and they'll handle everything on their own. Um, yeah. And I think I completely agree with they need to take a more strategic role and uh, upgrade their thinking, their thought process to be more of a um, an executive thought process. Think like a CEO, get in that mindset because then every single marketing campaign can affect the the main business objectives. I've asked this question um, in another episode, but it's, it's really it'd be really good to get your insight on it. How does an individual that's sitting in a recruitment agency and they they're loving what you're saying, Claire, and they think, yes, I want to sit at that table. You know, what are some steps they can take now to sort of put them in up, up to that level? I think I had some um, advice years and years ago now, and it wasn't about. Um, kind of you know you imagine the career ladder being a straight up straight down this was a talk about actually the the most optimum kind of way in which you can really kind of yeah accelerate your career or get to that seat at the table is one never forget the seat that you're in right now and two always make sure you go across horizontally or even diagonally but you go out of your comfort zone because you'll know marketing or you'll know comms or you'll know content or you'll know digital or you'll know something but what you might not necessarily know enough about is the finance structure of the business or you might not necessarily know enough about the profit margins over your rates or you might not know enough about a particular desk or an industry that your organization is sort of faced into make it your business to know and understand exactly what it is whether it's someone in the same level as you or you can befriend someone who's further into management or leadership that can mentor you, but just get yourself that perspective. Get the the view, get a 360 view of the organization from other people. And and you're not necessarily there to say, look, I want to do your job. What you're doing is you're gathering insight and intelligence. And it's all about then that layering up on you. Um, I think I've I've always been really fortunate because I've always worked into senior leadership and I've always sort of put myself in that space where I ask questions a hell of a lot. I'm really inquisitive. And I think if you are a natural networker and a natural kind of curious kind of go-getter, then it comes really easy. And and I'm really fortunate. I am a bit annoying. I am a bit sort of, you know, I'll ask a lot of questions and I'll get under the skin of things very quickly. But I'm also really practiced in the art of walking into somewhere and figuring out what the lay of the land is. If it's not something that comes naturally to you, start thinking about what kind of questions you would ask. Write them down, put them in an email, and then just email them to somebody that you've recognized that's in a different department. Again, maybe senior to you, someone who can then just come back to you in their own time and give you that insight or ask them to go for a coffee and just have your questions there. So you've got them and you've got a point and you've got a reason for engaging but it doesn't feel as scary as sort of starting that conversation up from scratch. Um, And I think also as well, if you are new in role, the one thing that I learned really early on too, because again, I moved into lots of different jobs. When you're onboarding, make your own 30, 60, 90 day plan and make sure in that first 30 days, you have integrated yourself with as many people as possible in that organization. And if you're past your 90 days and you've been in company for a while now, 
make a new plan, make a 30 day network the hell out of yourself into your organization, meet with as many different people as possible. And that gives you then a whole load of intel and insight, which you can then build your campaigns from and your plans from. It just gives you loads of loads of, um, yeah, sounding boards. Really. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think it is definitely going out, talking to the other individuals in the team. I think some sometimes marketers or even directors trying to come up with marketing content will sit in front of their LinkedIn and think, what? Am I going to talk about what, you know, what will sell, what will resonate, but actually more often than that, and it, not, and it works with us is you just have to go in and like you said, ask questions, break it down, dig deep into things. And not only the internal processes, the internal team, the sales people who are having those conversations daily, but also the clients and the candidates, the ones you won, the ones you didn't learn, didn't win. Um, and how you can use that research insight um intelligence to make a, a tangible difference I, lo- I love that we're on the same page there with that um because you're going now into the consulting sort of side of things um questions is always a massive one i'm going to throw a left field question out here for you actually what are okay. some of the big big hairy audacious questions that you like to ask to try and figure things out that maybe a marketer or a director can ask themselves um to really get you thinking kind of get those creative juices flowing Oh, the biggest ones are always the ones that they don't expect you to ask. Things like, why are you doing what you're doing? And why are you selling what you're selling? Or what's the profit margin on what you're actually selling? And do they know that? And I think, again, because I've been always sort of one foot in the commercial world and the reality of what marketing is, which is a cost center, um, you kind of have that, you can have that audacity, if you like, to turn around and go, hold on a minute. If you're only giving me 1% of, your net fee income to basically take you to market and you're paying me a pittance. Where's all the rest of it going? And, you know, there's that balance now. And I think, I think marketing has, thankfully, um, and not just because I'm, I'm passionate about it, but managed to really kind of show the world that there is absolute value, if not more value in marketing effectively than there is about having hundreds of salespeople kind of doing the sales process piece. Um, And not to say that sales isn't important, it really is. And I think that kind of collaboration piece has moved into what I call a really healthy, healthy base. So I work with loads of brilliant, brilliant sales professionals, but they also know as well that I couldn't operate without them and they couldn't operate really without me. So I think, yeah, go and go and figure out what's the bit that will make <laughs> like this. What what question would stop your CEO in their tracks and get them thinking? And it might not be as blatant as, you know, what's the profit margin on, you know, for this year or what's the quarter look like? It might actually be, what do they do to unplug? You know, if they've got a really busy schedule and they've got an intense amount of work on their plate, what are they doing to unplug? Because actually that mindset is a, probably a lesson that you could then take for yourself. And it's also something that, you know, will give you that little bit of, again, you're just going to raise your own personal bar because you're going to be on their radar then. You're the person that didn't ask them the obvious question. You're the person that actually cared about them enough to know what are they doing to kind of chill out and to relax a little bit because life is stressful. And, you know, sometimes we all have a little bit too much on our plate. Love that. And it circles back to 
you're just starting to become more curious, really putting on that con- consultative hat as well internally in the business. So you're constantly yeah. auditing the marketing and the business itself. And then you naturally will get a seat on that table if you're coming with that critical thought, aren't you? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, so we've touched on people, I think, quite nicely and a little bit on marketing. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into the technology because uh, yeah. I know that's something you're quite passionate about. Um, what does a, a strong te- technology stack look like nowadays? I mean, and how can you not let it get um, away from you and you suddenly pay in tens of thousands of pounds a month and it's not really doing anything for you? What is, what is the sweet spot? Um, <coughs> excuse me. I think, I think this is going to be different for every single organisation, um, not just because of size and scale, but also because kind of going back to my point at the beginning, if you are curious about the business and you're plugged into the business strategy, your marketing strategy will always need to have different levels of support. So years and years ago, it was best practice to create a marketing strategy that lasted for five years because you had a five-year business plan. Nowadays, anybody that's creating a five-year marketing strategy needs to be exited and walked out of the building as quickly as possible. Marketing strategy is down to channel and campaigns. That's the level at which strategy, marketing strategy should really sit. What should really happen, I feel, is that you've got business objectives and out of those business objectives, you've got a marketing viewpoint. Like what can I do to really help the commercial reality of this business kind of move forward? That's my marketing strategy now where that's where that sits. That isn't about um, a number of tactics or delivering a number of campaigns or doing X, Y, and Z. That's about meeting certain objectives. And so what I normally do is figure out, okay, what am I doing for my people? What am I doing for my product or service? And what am I doing in terms of the customers that I've got already? So you've kind of almost got those three three pillars, if you like, the way that the strategies kind of then need to be more specific. So yeah, business strategy and then come down. What are you going to do to take your business to market? That needs a whole tech stack because it's all about outbound. Could be lead generation, could be uh, account-based marketing. Again, depending on the right structure and the right setup, there's a number of amazing technology tools out there from email marketing platforms to um, you've got your outsourced BDR teams, you've got your BDR platforms, you've got SDR kind of functionality, You've got nurture tracks, you've got, um, oh, what else? You've got your recruitment marketing platforms, you've got your CMS-based stuff for your websites, you've got umpteen different opportunities to find technology to support that outreach or outbound marketing strategy. On the inbound piece, you're also going to dovetail into other areas of the business. So you might have a sales CRM. If you do, that's great because that means that you've then got your inbound opportunities to kind of really plug into. Um, And that's still part of the outbound, inbound that sort of sits in the same place. So CRMs are massively important these days, unless you're a business that literally just does business with maybe 10 individuals on the planet. And in which case you don't need CRM. But again, it all depends on what you're actually trying to achieve and what your end goals are. I think that other elements of the business, like your people strategy, so your employer brand, you've got an ATS, you might have any kind of 
um, career site, plug into your website. Again, you want to be able to make sure you can manage all of that technology at the drop of a hat. You've got your social channels that you'll be sitting over the top, distribution to those. You want to be doing it once. You don't want to be doing it every second of the day and, you know, kind of repeating that. And then the final part for me is that customer communications. And again, it could be that it's all one suite and that you've got, you know, you've got a number of really great players out there that can do quite a number of those elements, but you're going to need to augment some of it with additional and specialized technology platforms. Um, there's also things like once you've finished the communications, you want to be checking your ratings. You might want a G2 account. You may want a Glassdoor account. You might want to just basically get yourself kind of accredited from your candidate experience as well. So lots and lots of different technologies out there. I think the biggest thing to do and the first starting point I would always recommend is map your three pillars, map the journeys for each one of those Think about how you plug that into your overarching strategy and go from there. Yeah, fantastic. The piece of advice I always give when um, agencies are looking for technology is it will augment and it will make things easier, but there is an initial chunk of resistance when you first, it's easy to go onto the pricing page and think, okay, yeah, hundred pounds a month, let's, let's buy that. And then you're sitting there with a, with a dashboard and it could, do a load, a load of things. And I think just getting the strategy done first is important. And then it's actually putting together a bit of a project plan to say, look, the end yeah. result of this, it needs to have this KPI and it needs to work this way for us um, rather than just going going out. Um, and, um, <laughs> yeah, the better providers, I think, especially around the MarTech space, marketing technology is actually much more mature than the re- recruitment technology space. I mean, I'm, I feel like 110 years old most of the time, but... There is so much technology out there that's been developed for marketing, but not necessarily been developed for marketing in recruitment. And so you've got this sort of bank of stuff that has always existed. And it's almost like another side of the wall. And some days the wall's really transparent and you can see what's going on. Others, I feel like recruitment agency world shuts themselves down and only works in their stream. And to some extent, that's a really great thing, but to, to the detriment of innovation or moving forward. I mean, I've, I've worked with some really brilliant recruitment agencies where actually the marketing team has been so enormous that we had a whole floor um, in a you know a tower block back in the days. But it was almost like that doesn't necessarily need to happen now. You can do so much by augmenting um, the human kind of multi-skilled marketeer. Um, and I think as long as you stay... Stay really true to why is the journey what it is? What are we trying to get to? Like, what's our end goal? Um, I'm a massive Marvels fan because my son. So I always think about end game, right? So if you're already knowing where you're going to get to and what your end game actually looks like, it doesn't matter what happens in between. But the best thing for you is that if you can support your hours by getting rid of all of the admin stuff, by speeding up the natural time in which you sent emails out or, you know, got people on the cadence or you're just wanting to deal with the actual, yeah, I'm ready to chat to you kind of moment, then do that. Support yourself with technology. And that that business case piece that you just talked about, massively important. And again, if you don't know 
the questions to ask about the technology, just reach out, just connect with me. There's a whole load of us that can give you some support and advice on on where to start. We've kind of got as many T-shirts as you've probably had hot dinners. So, you know, we know how it works. And that, that kind of level of advice is free. It's not, it's not something you need to consult with me on. But yeah, I think that's the thing. Ask the questions of other people in your network as well. What are they using? What's working for them? Where are they at in their onboarding? What pain points have they they had? And can they, can you shortcut that as well? Very generous offering your time. I'm sure some people will reach out. I love the uh, the end game analogy. I, I use the same thing myself. It's that whole working backwards, and yeah. we like to use it from any even from like an ebook, like break down what the chapters in that ebook would look like, then go and find that content six months before, so you're ready to go rather than a panic chasing your tail. Um, but then down to, yeah, absolutely. Um, what does great look like in my role a year from now? Like, how could I be the best version of myself and work backwards? And I think if you, that kind of mindset really does make a huge difference to what, what you do and just auditing what you do every day and find, is there a tool for that? Can I kind of automate that? Perfect. So next question, Claire, um, relationship marketing. We talked <laughs> about this briefly. Um, And I think this really sort of, this will tie up the sort of triangle nicely in a nice little bow. Um, Break it down for me. Talk talk to me about it. Well, I'm I'm not joking when I said I'm about 110 years old. Um, I graduated in a world where there was no social media. In fact, actually, I graduated probably the year after my university actually had email available to students. So, you know, we were kind of typing up our dissertation on typewriters um, or trying to get time in on the, the university's um, kind of library, which had about six machines. <laughs> they were massive machines. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not of the this generation where technology is kind of almost a given. So I did a business studies marketing degree and in the final year we had to write our dissertation. We did a, a work placement year. In, in our third year. And I kind of worked in this beautiful um, small business, small and beautifully formed, I should say, selling teach training courses to teachers to enable the, the curriculum piece. And they're still, still going, they're still doing a brilliant job all these hundreds of years later. Um, and my job was to really figure out, they had this database of all of these teachers. Again, data privacy being something that I'm kind of coming back to now. Um, but they had because the government listed all of the teachers and all the schools that they were at and the subjects that they were at. And this database was huge, but it was on like a real sort of Rolodex thing. And we basically, I was myself and actually my husband, I met him um, at this work placement thing, but we, we were responsible for taking this data and creating these mail shots to alert the teachers to the courses that they could book on in there you know and they do the inset days and teachers can come out and and actually have an inset day or they have a number of personal professional development points um as it was back then I don't know if it's still the same now so that whole sort of like taking time to put data into uh, an excel doc or a database as we had back then it was a very very basic database and then to mail merge and then we had these 
printers that were like cold copy printers. It's so prehistoric now when I'm telling you, I'm aging myself every second that I'm talking. But the whole point of it was that it enabled me to think about how do you develop a relationship through marketing? And the crux of it was that there's this chap called Christopher Gronroos, who was um, responsible for the term relationship marketing. Um, again, before the onset of social media and this sort of digitalization of relationships. And I was really fascinated by the psychology of reaching out to someone through a letter, explaining the offer, explaining the opportunity, and enabling them to come back and say, yes, I'm interested, or no, I'm not. And I kind of carried it on. I was really fortunate to land a job in London after I graduated up in Derby. And my first job was in a publishing house, but I was in the sales floor. I hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, I was all right at it, but I hated it. And so we established a way, again, this was back in the day where we had big, massive paper-based directories. And we were going through these directories and making 70 calls a day. That was our KPI, which was insane. Um, and we had to basically explain what we were trying to sell in a minute before they put the phone down. I was selling to barristers and lawyers and chambers. And if you know anything about that marketplace, it's like these people have no time for ridiculous cold calls. So I kind of had a brain spark kind of moment. I'm going to start typing up the addresses that are in this book. I'm going to mail merge. I'm going to send them letters. And then I'm going to call them the week after. And then suddenly I started getting all of these leads back in. And my boss was like, what's going on? This is weird. And suddenly my call list inbound had gone right down because actually it was getting, sorry, my call outbound was getting lower and lower because my inbound was coming up. And um, I had to keep leaving my phone free so that my inbounds could come in. And that's when we realized that actually if we did it, if I did this en masse uh, for the whole of the team, I could be much more effective because my typing speed was great because obviously I've been typing meditation and what have you. Um, so I typed up all of these names into a database and published the first CRM for the publishing for the yeah, publishing company that I worked at. Um, and the sales team started to get inbound. And then I built a landing page on the website, I built the page to create the, yeah, I want a demo. Um, and so, yeah, that was the onset of my very, very first year at work um, in London, working, setting up relationship marketing, I suppose, um, which became direct marketing kind of campaign. Fantastic. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, my first role out as a marketing apprentice was in a, in a solicitor's. Um, very interesting marketing. It was a bit of a trial by fire, to be honest, trying to market as solicitors. Um, but it was it was great experience. Um, I love this. I think it kind of touches on the the latest buzzword is account based marketing, isn't it? And it's sort of when you when you're saying like, and I completely agree with it, it's like the the way things used to work before <laughs> and then went out of fashion like five to seven years ago, um, for things like inbounds. Uh, etc um and now outbound is starting renamed demand generation it's starting to become more of a prevalent marketing um source but also the relationship marketing or the account-based marketing is making such a huge comeback and i think if you really think about it you're not as a recruitment agency you're, you're not selling um like a subscription to some kind of 
small SaaS product. It's this like on mass marketing that's huge and automated to like every single inch of its life doesn't really apply because you're dealing with individual people with individual needs and requirements. So that account-based marketing does play such a huge role. Um, Next question. So love it. It's a great foundation. What what does this look like in a a modern day um, setting in the market? I think it is is literally that end-to-end total knowledge, understanding and talking to and engaging with your ideal client profile. Like that's what relationship marketing is. It is also all of the elements that you've talked about. It's being able to outbound effectively to a cohort or a group of people that have the same markers and the characteristics, then the same need, but then also as well, enabling them to come to you and say, yeah, I have a need for you to help me, or I've got a question that you might be able to help me with. And then it's about gathering that insight and intelligence, the discovery phase for sales, for even, um, you know, kind of initially onboarding a new client, like all of that insight, how they're structured, um, who are the other hiring managers, what's the situation in terms of growth, what's the year end, all of those surrounding questions around the makeup of that organisation adds to your intelligence. And that obviously does or doesn't, to some extent, get stored in your CRM. You've then got that kind of capacity to kind of find groups of people and communicate with them around similar topics. So you take a, an agency with 50 recruiters, there's bound to be commonalities between the conversations they're having day to day, but it won't be their entire book of business. It will be, you know, maybe 20, 30%, but 20, 30% of everybody's contact list is a decent sizable contact list to then say, right, we've got this topic Let's go out and showcase what we know about it because actually that might kind of trigger something else and give us that top of mind that we want so that we can pick up those roles. And I think just being mindful of what do we know and what can we do with that reverse engineering piece that you talked about earlier on? What can we do to turn that into a campaign? What can we do to really showcase our talents and also the people within the business, because they're the people that they're going to ultimately buy into. I think also as well, the agencies that look at themselves in an agency way, like you've got account directors and account managers, and you've got you know people who can really help service the need that you have. Because this is people and jobs, this is not necessarily creative or campaigns, but it's very similar sort of the discovery piece is very similar. So I think any structure that you have that kind of mirrors that will give you an an element of being able to collect that insight and data and then also funnel it back into the the greater kind of content machine within the business. And I think also as well, going back to that structural piece around where does marketing sit and how does that also, you kind of almost need that knowledge to kind of come right back into the heart of marketing so marketing do need to sit in the CRM. They do need to know and understand what campaigns are running, what kind of industry conversations are being had. And if they're not the people that are kind of curating that, they still need to be plugged into the distribution or even the the collaborate the collation of that. So where is that information coming from? Where is it going to? And they need to be able to see that as well. Yeah. One thing that's come to my mind immediately is, a lot of the time 
uh, the marketers don't get sent to the the industry events and things like that. It's always the consultants to go and press flesh and do a bit of selling. But they could be in there looking at what some of the huge talking topics are, find prospective guests for podcasts or people to make relationships with. And it's a completely different mindset. Um, yeah, I really like that. It's the whole kind of that research insight from every single department to be able to make those strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. So the next thing I think I'd like to move on to is um, I think we've really, really nailed down what a good marketing strategy looks like for an agency, for sure. Um in our previous conversation, uh, you mentioned that uh, you're quite passionate about the role chat GPT and automation is starting to play in the industry. Um, yeah. Believe it or not, it has not come up yet in um, in any of our podcast episodes, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm really confused <laughs> about. I think we mentioned in one episode that we can, pr- we can tell if you've done a chat GPT post on social, if you haven't <laughs> edited it enough. Um, but what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on on this well, you know, really revolutionary excited. technology yeah i'm really really excited by this um so i've been really fortunate this last couple of years i've been working with a sort of automated social media platform so again looking at ai and machine learning and figuring out that distribution piece but also the targeting piece and kind of amplification of engagement and then just before that i had a good couple of years um with a lovely team over at ph creative where I was talking with them and and really thinking and understanding the role of employer brand and how employer brand sentiment messaging and and that whole reputation piece can actually be that that line if you like the hook and line um, as well as the stick um, to fish for new people and so if I think about it from a holistic business perspective rather than just a recruitment agency right now holistic businesses have an absolute opportunity to plug in, whether it's ChatGPT or any kind of conversational AI, wrote, you know, bots that have been around for ages. And another great company that I've known and worked with, Meet and Engage, have been using chatbots in um, onboarding and candidate attraction, especially at their sort of early careers um, end. And so you've got all of this sort of really awesome technology that takes and is always on, um, takes that heavy lifting out of call and response and keeps that sort of virtual handheld for people walking through a process. So why wouldn't you also want to plug it into other areas? And I think content production, I mean, obviously there's thousands of debates that are going on right now. I mean, you just have to turn on LinkedIn and there's like somebody has an opinion on, on ChatGBT at every point. And I think that whole space has blown up because there's a lot of curiosity. But also as well, I don't know if you've been in or you've logged in already has been an early adopter. I can't get into chat GPT. I'm still on the wait list. Um, and I was, you know, kind of there with Hung chatting about it like maybe two, three months ago. And it's just so hilarious that there's all of these different things, but there's lots of tools that have been out there for a while. I think the way that OpenAI has actually brought this to market is probably the smartest way. They've kind of almost done that sort of wet your appetite, get people hooked and excited. There'll be those early adopters, and then there'll be those people that really kind of continue to watch and learn, and they're doing stuff in the background, and then they'll come with it baked into a solution that they may have. Um, a lot of 
I suppose content producers are going to be thinking, oh, this is brilliant. I can just put my feet up now and just press a button and away I go. No, you can't. You still need to do all of the legwork. You need to do all of the creative thinking, the strategic analysis. You need to do the editing. You kind of almost need to then become your own agency because just suddenly you've got a load of words coming at you. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be any better than what it would be if you sat down and actually wrote it yourself. Uh, you just have to do the research. It might just come faster. You might use it for research, which, again, is a great way of augmenting. But you still have to piece it all together and make it make sense. And I think, yeah, those that are lazy will kind of almost leave it as is. And, yes, you will be able to see quite easily. There's also that conversation. I love this on um, Brain Food um, live chat last week, and I think it's going to continue next week, um, which is around the CVs and when people are applying for jobs. And actually, I really like the idea that CVs and application letters are done and gone. Um, great team over at Arctic Shores are really campaigning for skill-based kind of um, aptitude tests and assessments to be the thing that you use to basically bring, you know, talent into your business as opposed to CVs. But that's the whole industry change. So I think we're on the cusp of something very exciting. I'm certainly kind of eyes wide open and sort of figuring it out. I'm dabbling as well. I'm playing with a a couple of the tools and and just seeing what the, the sort of, yeah, the output looks like, whether or not it feels, I don't think it ever feels authentically you if you have a voice and you're used to hearing your own voice. I do talk a lot, so I am quite used to hearing my own voice. But that that whole tonality, I think, is something that you could you can play with over time, but it's a machine learning process. So yeah, as long as you've got your eyes wide open and you don't expect yourself to be replaced by a talking, writing, creative robot then um, I think it'll be fine. I think we're good for a good couple of years yet. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I've got a few thoughts on this. So I think oh, it's an unreal tool and we've been playing with it as well. Um, we actually put a poll out, um, my guy Will, and um, was like, because ChatGPT has gone gone paid for in America. So yeah. it's like, would you pay for this? And is you actually surprised that the amount of people say no? Um, but then the people that do pay for it, will know how to properly get the most out of it and actually use it as a tool and not just uh, an easy an easy fix to a and I think it's going to plug into the marketing tech site like we just talked about. I think it's it's the no-brainer. You know, again, if you've got time-sensitive kind of production stuff to get up and out, why wouldn't you use something that could just, you know, get you the words in seconds as opposed to hours and hours of, and paying for a, a human to sit there and, and come up with stuff? Oh, a great use example the other day was I had a call with a um, client around a podcast and we're trying to come up with names. And I was just like, you know what, I'll just be up ChatGPT. But like, give me names for a podcast in the customer experience (laughs) space. And they gave me 20 20 different names. We just went through them and one of them just hit so hard. And it was just like, we could have just been sat in in that meeting for 20 minutes, not saying anything, going, hmm, what about this? Oh, no, it doesn't sound (laughs) great. So it just instantly improves that process and makes your time better. Um, It also reminds me of what you said um, about the CV writing. Um, On Reddit, I follow the chat GPT subreddit and um, someone posted, I finally got a job interview. Um, for a job I'd been trying for for two months, this time I let ChatGPT write my uh, cover letter. So it's like, <laughs> so 
So it probably went through, got through all like the uh, the. Well, what's the really hilarious? The other side, there'll be another robot, basically filtering all of those cover letters, rather than her and, and you know human sitting there and kind of going through everything. We were using technology to screen for years and years, over twenty years. I worked at Broadbeam, you know, for like ten years ago. But amazing technology of its day, and still. There's still so many different functions out there and every single ATS right now has got screen capabilities and, and filters for keywords. So, yeah, why wouldn't you want that on the other side? Use the tools to play the game. That's what I say. Absolutely. Love it. Um, something that, a common common theme I've been seeing with what we've been talking about is, um, and I'm sure it's quite passion, quite passion for you, is um, employer branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... And I know you've touched on it a little bit in terms of what it looks like for a strategy, but I definitely feel like employer branding and talent attraction and culture has really taken a step up recently. And some of the great recruitment agencies are doing a really good job. What does what does great look like for a strong um, employer brands? I think um, <laughs> so. The words conscious parenting kind of spring to mind whenever I think about employer brand. Right, um, as a parent, um, I've got a thirteen-year-old and. We've we've always kind of had that um, the life lessons that we have as kids. Obviously, doesn't quite apply in this world, but there's that whole element of I know what worked for me, but I know what really didn't work for me, and I don't want to make those same mistakes for my child. And I think the world of employer branding is kind of almost in a similar sort of space. Not to belittle it at all, because it is a phenomenal and fundamental part of any organization to have an employee value proposition aligned with your business strategy is possibly one of the most powerful tools any C-suite can have. And I think also as well, having that level of understanding of what drives your people to turn up for you every day is more than just a pay packet or the fact that you let them work from home for three days a week, yada, yada. You know, it's so much more these days. Working at PH, I really had this brilliant kind of insight into building employer brand strategies and and how important they are to, you know, the global organizations that they work with. But it it kind of goes across the board. I was fortunate to be a RADS judge this year, so I feel like I've kind of finally arrived in my professional capacity. Um, But that as well, you know, sitting with the people leaders and the agency leaders that I was there with, the phenomenal amount of knowledge and understanding and the commercial reality that goes behind putting employer brand on the agenda is so astounding. And I think there's there's so many studies out there and PH were the ones that did the, the Virgin case study years and years and years ago, um, you know, kind of millions and millions of pounds being um, lost in revenue because the candidate experience coming through for the group was costing them business so people who had a really shitty experience coming through as a candidate for any kind of job weren't then picking any of the virgin products so if that has a knock-on effect that could be that big and then becomes this sort of like right we must rectify it then it can only be really right for the recruitment agencies to take it very seriously when they're pitching but also as well, that kind of got that duty of care. They are the conscious parents. They know and understand 
what it's like to work in an organization, hopefully in a great way, they are being represented and supported and engaged with by their employer. But they're also then taking on this child of someone else's and then putting it out into the marketplace. So I feel like there is that that, that level of knowledge and understanding to be gained. So anybody that hasn't gone out there and figured out what is employer branding, what is an employee value proposition, what are the pillars that you'd want to be able to kind of talk about in a job advert? What are the real reasons why someone would really love and thrive in that environment and that job versus what they don't get? You know, because that's the other thing that I got really, um, that one of the real deep lessons um, that Brian and Dave talk about as well at PH a lot, which is that whole sort of, you want to be repelling the many, but only really attracting the few that will do the job, can do the job, and a really match made in heaven kind of situation. Um, and I know it's a different philosophy across a recruitment agency world. And I'm hoping that we're turning that sort of spray and pray mentality into much more of a marketing targeted, you know, kind of demand gen thought mentality where actually those people are really, really right for the role, apply. That makes the filtering and the communication and the personalization much better, which then makes the shortlisting easier, which then makes the decision faster. You know, it kind of, it all makes sense in my world. I've been doing this for a long time. And I think if you can find the way of turning the turnkeys to create that workflow, then you're winning at life and you'll have great agency. Perfect. And do you think, because sometimes you'll come across, obviously the, the employer branding piece is very big when you talk around uh, an RPO or retained service when it comes to recruitment. But sometimes when they do the perm or contingent, et cetera, they just think, oh, that's not part of me. I'm just to get here to get bums on seats. Do you reckon the recruitment agencies that take that seriously and implement that, even as that consultative approach, even for the, like the real just you know, just finding people for that existing job will have that competitive edge as we go forward? The way that I look at it, any client that you have on a retainer, whether you're contingency or search, or you're there kind of almost filling and doing the RPO bit, you have got a duty of care to understand what their brand book looks like, to understand what their employer value proposition is, and to, to kind of get behind the job spec. You know, you can, you're just going to be given a, a spec and that's great. But that isn't an advert. That isn't a compelling reason why someone should actually want to spend eight hours a day kind of working for an organization or eight hours plus um, for most people. So, yeah, I kind of feel that we just don't do enough. And, yeah, I think you can also stand yourself out above the rest as that recruiter who asks for what's your tone of voice? What's your your brand values? And and where do you, where's the business going? And what's the growth strategy for the business? And what's the, you know, those questions that are around, again, like you would do if you were thinking about a campaign. Like, I don't know, maybe it just comes naturally to me because I've been piecing these together for so long. But you ask the questions around the opportunity. It's more than just a job, title, salary, location, and some key, you know, tasks that you're going to be doing what's the culture like what's the what's the environment really like are you remote but do you keep together and like how do you keep together and what does that really feel like and it's that that emotive intelligence 
that can really stand you apart as well. Fantastic. One tactic I would potentially pitch for improving, say that it's if the agenda was less pick up our employer branding game, but like where do I begin? Is always starting the podcast, starting a recruitment podcast and talking to companies within your sector that you know are just doing an amazing job at it and breaking down their their strategy and what they've found and what they've worked. Because more often than not, um, there is a common sentiment across the people within that sector. Um, So if you can kind of replicate that with other clients, um, it's a good way to sort of pick up that and grow that skill. Yeah, we call it the red thread. So what's the red thread? You know, um, amazingly, we, when I was at Broadbean, we didn't have a HR function. We we had we were owned by a bigger um, entity, and we had HR there. But actually, as a group of business leaders, we all had our functional kind of direction. We all came together, and we kind of managed that business together. But we were all responsible for our own team development and our own recruitment. And that in itself was such a massive part of our day-to-day kind of thinking. But actually, you know, there was no way that I would get through a week without going and sitting in on an interview for someone else and another team. And I think that's the other thing as well. Like recruiters tend to stick to what they're good at and what they know. And that natural curiosity to kind of come outside of their comfort zone or go and sit in another interview, go and sit in with someone else or plug in and, and find out what's going on in another desk or another department. And if it's for the same organisation that you're working for, how brilliant, because you get a different viewpoint and you see the culture from a different side of things. It'll take half an hour. You know, it takes half an hour out of your day. If you could put one of those in every week, you've got such an amazing way of gathering that intelligence for yourself that you re-engineer back into your proposition. Fantastic. Love that. Perfect. So. I'm going to move on to the final piece because, um, again, it's getting away with me. Like time is going on and we're just chatting away. (laughs) (laughs) I think when we last had our call, you was keen to talk about, um, obviously being a woman in, in sort of like in a professional capacity and sort of the success, the complete success you've had. Um, and I'm sure there were some challenges, you know, it was the inequalities were a lot bigger back in the days. I think it's, it's improving, but, um, there's still a long way to go. Tell us about your your journey, some challenges, maybe some lessons for, for you know, other, other women that potentially maybe listen to the podcast that could resonate. Sure. I mean, I think essentially I am exceptionally fortunate. I've been, you know, kind of in a world where, yeah, it has been very male dominated um, over the years. I started out actually in um, the legal sector and legal publishing um, and, and sales. And so I kind of found myself very much the sort of girl about town you know kind of gallivanting up, up into London every day and and being I don't know maybe subjected to kind of you know the I don't know, butt slaps in the pub and all that sort of stuff it sounds awful and it sounds like I'm totally dismissing it I'm not but it was just part of life so you didn't really kind of question it I was very fortunate nothing you know really untoward happened I think I think the biggest thing for me from a a woman in this industry, I think being heard is the one thing that I've always really been very conscious of. So if I'm in a situation where I see that actually the the tone of the room is very masculine and not very much kind of, you know, and I'm being thrown a couple of comments like, oh, can you put the kettle on and, you know, stuff like that, I I tend to kind of go, oh, are you? Um, You know, I don't have any sugar, thanks. Um, you know, and, and turn it around and kind of 
move through it. I also dismiss it quite quite quickly, but again, it's a learned skill. I think more than anything, most recently, I've hit this sort of the the kind of I say cool age. I am that cool woman who is perimenopausal. Um, but it's also been a massive head change. Um, the last couple of years since the pandemic, I've kind of I hit 45 just as the pandemic kind of um came on, and then and then the emotional wheels on my bus fell off. Um, and I was in a really great place from a job perspective. I was with PH Creative, an amazing support network um there with the chief people officer, Jeanette. Phenomenal knowledge and understanding. Again, as a senior leader and a female, she's done a lot of work with um, menopause in business and women going through this sort of period. I think for me, this has been the hardest part of my career to date. Navigating through, I think I've never suffered from lack of confidence. And I've always been able to walk into a room and kind of be the first person that goes into a pub on her own, you know, those sorts of things I've never shied away from icebreakers and and stuff like that but I literally had an overwhelming kind of desire to just curl up into a ball and never come out again um and it was it was really difficult and I think recognizing the symptoms was one thing then finding treatment was another thing and then re-assimilating myself back into the position of power that I feel really comfortable with. And it, even now talking to you, it's it's quite an emotional state, but it's, it's something that I'm learning to work with as opposed to ignore. And I think anybody else going through anything like this, my advice would be talk to those that love you and know you, tell them what's going on, um, be as honest as you can with yourself so if you're grumpier than normal, if you're a little bit more emotional than normal, if you're forgetful, like, oh, my God, the amount of people. I mean, I pride myself on being so brilliantly connected and networked. And I love my network for all the work that they have given me, gifted me, and I've been able to kind of make introductions to. But, oh, oh, my God, when I can't even remember your name and I've been sitting there with you for an hour. Aiden, I do know your name. So, you know, it's kind of like, but it could go. It could go in a second. And it's like, there is nothing there. And they are the like, you flush with anger at yourself and embarrassment because you're suddenly in a space that is so unfamiliar. But your capability and your success and your position in the world hasn't changed, but it feels like the world has literally shifted under your feet. And I think... You know, we kind of, we have this vulnerability that, I mean, I certainly wasn't really able to be vulnerable. I've I've kind of positioned myself to kind of always be able to, you know, phoenix out the fire and whatever else. But the vulnerability that this has given me has been the biggest lesson, I think, for my career as well. Being able to recognise in myself that I'm not superwoman, damn, where did that happen? You know, it's kind of like, Actually, I can be a superwoman three or four days out of the week, but I give myself a day, you know, and that day might also be hours across the week where I'm just not firing on all cylinders. And you kind of have to give yourself a bit of a break there. So, yeah, I suppose that is the crux of it. It's not something that I'm suffering. It is an acceptance of this is just where I'm at. And I think that's been another hurdle to get over 
you don't just suffer with HRT, um, sorry, menopause, or you you kind of, you can treat your symptoms with things like HRT if you can get, um, and if you're able, and and if you're not able, then then try alternative ways. I mean, I'm also a massive, I've just started, I say just started, um, I've been working out with a personal trainer for a year, and the therapy that actually Thai boxing has given me, as a woman in her 40s, I actually spar with my 13-year-old son, through the summer because he's awesome but I'm really worried that this year is actually not going to be as forgiving as he was last year now he's taller than me he's kind of grown I don't know a foot taller in in the space of six months so yeah I'm I'm worried about the summer and my sparring but other than that I think it's just great to have escape alternative you need to have alternative things um going on and also as well the one thing that I would say watch out for which is which was my um, my kind of almost inner demon came out. I became even more of a workaholic and I pushed everything towards the fact that I was really passionate about my job. But when you're working 13, 14, 15 hours trying to do something, but you're not achieving something and you'll know it if this is you, <laughs> you'll kind of want to go, but I was really good at this and I could do this and now I'm not doing this. So I'm going to do another 15 hour day because I know that I can do this. That's not the right way to go about it. In fact, stop doing it. That's what I would recommend. Just stop doing whatever you're doing that you're not doing <laughs> in the time you're doing it because you're not going to ever get through it. It's just, yeah, you just can't. You kind of almost have to put the brakes on, reassess, like you would do if things were going wrong in a business. Like if you, you know, if you're running a business strategy or a marketing strategy or a campaign is landing, you would stop doing it. So I would recommend the strategy for your self-management and leadership. If you're in the space, to stop doing what you're doing, take a moment, assess it, and figure out a new route to achieving what your goals are. So, yeah, that's kind of almost where I'm at as well, um, I think, from a personal perspective. And, and, yeah, being able to kind of offer mentoring and support to women at all ages, I've been doing for years and years, and actually to anybody interested in a career in marketing, because I find it exceptionally fascinating. And I love I love seeing things through fresh eyes and to really plug into mindsets that are different to mine. Again, I'm kind of almost, I'm not set in my ways, but I'm, I know what I know, but I don't know what I don't know until I start talking to people with different perspectives. So thank awesome. you. Thank you for that. Um, the journey, I think that's the kind of thing that sort of it's stuck in my head is we're all going through a journey in life, aren't we? And there is obstacles and it's how you, firstly, don't be too hard on yourself, but how you reflect and go forward. Um, I love that you do uh, PT, uh, Thai boxing. That's something that um, I do as well. Uh, I do I do Thai and kickboxing. I'm not sparring um, with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your your son, one day he'll just give you a, a teep a little bit too hard and you'll go flying back. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> what is one question I just want to ask on this? What is what do you think the catalyst was for your sort of self-reflection? Um and how are you sort of then implemented that? I'm um I'm exceptionally short with myself. So I get really frustrated when I get a cold and I'm not able to kind of be at hundred percent. And I think I'd I'd stopped caring. It's like, it's really weird. 
So my younger days, I would never leave the house without mascara on and just one of those weird things. And then I'd, I'd kind of I've built this beautiful office that we're in right now. And I kind of I'd been really successful running my own business and then the pandemic came. And I was like, you know what? I'm ever the optimist. I'm always half full. But I'd stopped remembering that I was half full. And at that point where I was like, when was the last time I kind of went, this is good. And and had a really good positive moment because of something that I'd affected or been involved in. And I was I was kind of almost on the, the outskirts of everything that was good that was going on. And I could appreciate things, but I wasn't really loving things. I loved it, Jumper. But it, it was about that. It was about that really loving something. And I, I just realized I'd just become unplugged from, from myself. And it's that self-awareness that I don't think, I mean, that that's probably the bit again, I can be, I can be really self-centered, but selfish isn't something that I am. It's a very different kind of thing there. And if you can understand the difference of being self-centered and selfish. And I'm like self-centered, like what's going on? Because again, this three-foot world that I operate in, I'm not plugged into it. I don't feel part of it. Like this is mine. Why am I not being able to have the happy days, be really angry, you know, kind of have a shit fit at someone because they've done something wrong. Not that I'm very often having <laughs> shit fits at people, but it's it was almost like, oh, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's like, oh my God where's my passion where's my love where's my absolute kind of you know bar in terms of what I'm really aiming for and I'd become dis- disenfranchised from it and it, it was at that point where again talking to my nearest and dearest and asking them what have you seen in me that's different oh well you become more grouchy or yeah you're a bit quiet I haven't seen you out and about as much and you're not as chatty as you were and I haven't seen you kind of do anything like this before, you know? And I was like, okay, so something's going on. And actually on a sort of molecular level, that then kind of pushed my curious buttons again. Started doing some research and the penny dropped. It was like, hold on a minute. So you're of a certain age. I kind of, you know, live fast, enjoy every minute kind of moments have suddenly become do I have to get out of bed and, you know, do I really want to do that today? And, oh, my God, I can't face that meeting. And then the emotional overwhelm as well, like coming off a, a Zoom call. And I worked for three, four years before the pandemic, so I knew what Zoom calls were. Most of my peer group had no idea that business could be conducted this way. And so I'd come off a Zoom call and I'd just be, like, in tears. And I'd be like... Nothing upset me on that call. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I haven't done anything bad. I haven't failed. Why am I really emotional? And I think you just go through, I mean, my, my journey is obviously going to be very different to, to other women out there, but hormones are a bugger. And when they drop off a cliff, and I think they happen for men as well. I don't think this is just a female, you know, kind of issue. I know men... I mean, we used to talk about it growing up. My dad had a midlife crisis. He went out and bought a sports car. Fortunately, he didn't divorce my mum. But, you know, it's kind of that whole moment of why is he doing that? And I think it is just about that sort of there's something that happens at a different part in your life. And you'll 
you need to go with it. You need to go with the flow and you need to figure out, is this hormonal? Is this just, you know, kind of mechanical or is this mental? And I think we live in a world where we just don't live in our own self and we don't center ourselves enough. And I think if we can learn to do a lot more self-center management, then everything else will kind of come over that as well. So, yeah, I'm a font of all knowledge, anything and everything perimenopause in business, how it works when you're trying to manage marketing jobs and also consult and run a family and do this, that and the other. I can help out with help how you manage all of that too. So, yeah, and um, please do feel free to kind of come and ask me all those awkward questions. I'm happy to answer. Fantastic. I love that. Um, some pause for thought for myself, actually. I might go and do a little bit reflecting. Some of those things you said resonated with me a little bit. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. So are you, are you hopeful for the future? And would you think the whole, the future you know, maybe in general, but then also let's narrow it down to the recruitment industry as well for like our final yeah. sort of question before our quick round. But, you know, is there hope there? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I think this is why I love, and I've been in the people space now for nearly 20 years. The heart is the thing that makes us all kind of, you know, kind of stay together. It's such a small industry, but it's huge. And it's the thing that basically drives business. So, you know, we are really fortunate and it is that old adage, we hold people's lives in our hands. And I think that's the thing to always keep at, at top of mind. You are affecting the way that someone shows up. You're increasing someone's happiness. You're enabling someone to be the best person that they can be because they're in an environment that is good for them. And so, yeah, I think I'm massively optimistic, always always want to be and remain so. Um, And I think the way in which the world is tipping, you know, economies come and go. We've had and we've worked through possibly the world's worst disaster. We are picking ourselves back up. We have another challenge. We have another challenge. There'll be more challenges that come. But so long as you can be straight with yourself and keep moving forward, um, and my my son Jeremy said to me the other day something really brilliant. I'm not sure I really like history, Mum. All we do is talk about what happened, and I was like, "But you do know what you're learning." And he was like, "Yeah, we just don't need to do it again." And I'm like, "Absolutely, that's the fundamental thing. The reason why you learn history at school is so that you don't repeat the same shit that you you know we've already done." And so those are the lessons, and just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, it's really easy to learn. And so keep learning. Yeah, fantastic. I sort of look at it as, especially with, with looking at the future, it's what what benefit does it bring to be negative about what's going to be happening in the future? It's You've just got to have a positive mindset with it. Um, uh, and I love what you're saying about your son. I definitely feel that, you know, Gen, Gen Z, maybe some like later millennials, um, there's definitely a change in mindset. Everyone sort of bunks them for TikTok and their social media use, but they have a genuine um, want to sort of be better, be be beneficial to the world. Um, and it's like completely different from some of like that 80s mindset from the older generation where it was just like, make as much money and do this as hard as possible. So it's nice seeing a different sort of way to um, to look at it. 
Last um, quick fire question round before we wrap up, Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think we've really discussed some awesome stuff. Um, we'll just do a, a few quick questions. I know that you just skimmed them right before the call. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know what I know. Go on, ask me. <laughs> okay, first one, favourite pizza topping? Uh, mushrooms. I think. Oh, interesting. I actually hate mushrooms. So. <laughs> I love mushrooms. They're kind of almost like the... Yeah, the assassin vegetable. They kind of just, they do everything. They do everything. Yeah, I love them. Perfect. Um, and your best productivity technique, methods, you know, how, how do you stay productive? Um, so I have a number of different ways in which I write things down, but I'm exceptionally old. So I have my notebook. My notebook is my best friend and I have lots of them scattered around the room and different ones for different things. Uh, but I write my lists. I write, yeah, to-do lists. Yeah, perfect. My um, my copyright, um, Sophie, got me into writing things down again. I remember when I used to do it back <laughs> when I first started my writing. It's, it's helpful, isn't it? You can break things down a little bit more. Um, but So I know that the, one, the question was favourite podcast, but you actually had a bit of a different... Um, different version of because you're not a massive podcast person so do you want to do you want to talk about what's your favorite um source of media inspiration <laughs> yeah well, obviously there's skills point which is really awesome um no and I do I really appreciate actually there's not there's not that many kind of platforms for where marketing can really kind of come up and out and I know there's loads of awesome marketeers that have got um podcasts and, and kind of conversational content stuff out there and and quite a few of them are really great friends of mine but I think what's really nice about this is actually being able to showcase marketing in this sector the way that you guys are positioned skill point is is actually really really unique um but no I don't listen to podcasts generally because I like to listen to music and I'm not very good with headphones and stuff and so I am more of a reader and I'm kind of Kindle and and I just actually signed up to Harvard Business Review and the amazing array of content. So I'm now reading because I'm kind of I have time. I have luxury of time. Um, I'm now reading probably for about two hours a day and I'm just consuming lots of information. Um, and actually, there was <laughs> HBR did a um, how productive are you kind of um, questionnaire, which you can go find on their website. Um, and I'm in the upper echelons of organization apparently um because of the way that i consume information so i was like yes i'm winning at life this is good <laughs> yeah I, I really like harvard business review i haven't actually subscribed to it online but um the other when i last went on holiday i bought one of the uh they, they put the premium articles <laughs> into a book don't they sometimes yeah. bought one yeah, strategy and i was just literally it was a page turner and i just come out with like, like mind blown on holiday about strategy and um, fired up for coming back um what company out there in the in the space does marketing the best? It doesn't need to be a recruitment. It could be anyone, any space, any sector. Who am I loving right now? Um, you know what? I'm taking inspiration from hundreds of, of organisations. I'm not really sort of seeing anybody that's doing like one organisation. No, that one's, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I can't. No worries. No yeah. worries. And I'm also going to kind of go, what are, you know what? I'm having a menopause moment. I can't think. <laughs> So, uh, segue then what what are the things that these top companies are doing these hundreds of companies what's a commonality theme i think it is the omni-channel marketing campaign piece that any organization that can literally talk to a future employee and sell products and communicate effectively and be great for the planet 
they're the ones that are winning. They're the organisations that literally tick every box for me at the moment. There isn't that many of them, but I'm sure that anybody thinking about it, they'll they'll kind of recognise the brand. And finally, if you could live anywhere else, where would it be? Oh, well, I have one of my best girlfriends. She lives in Barbados, so that would be my number one place. But as it's kind of like 11 hours away, um, my other favourite part of the world is Netherlands. And I would, yeah, skip there in a heartbeat. Spend a lot of time Yeah, it's always eye up Holland. I don't know how easy it would be to move over there now. But yeah, I love, I love, um, yeah all that in the, in the Netherlands yeah for sure um that's it that's it all questions asked thank you so much Claire um I know you mentioned a couple of times that people were more than welcome to reach out to you and talk to you about things what is the best way for them to contact you linking with me it's Claire Bush it's Claire without an e with an i it's a little bit confusing but Claire Bush you'll find me um I am also available on Claire at am-bush.co.uk. So if anybody wants to reach out directly and email me, then I will always respond. But thank you, Hayden. This has been really, really lovely. And um, yeah, really loved it. Thank you. No, uh, likewise, I think. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.